Hello, and welcome to the All Things Narrative podcast, where we explore the relationships between the stories we love and the stories we live. I'm your host, Derek Hatch, and let's get started. What's up, good people out there in podcast land? It is November, and it is a new month. And of course, at the top of the month, we love to have some guests on to talk all things narrative, whether it's storytelling, narrative therapy, or in the case of today's episode, a little bit of both. So I'm very excited to introduce uh, this panel here. So if you might remember, a few months ago, we did a narrative panel with some of my um, colleagues and, and members of the cohort of the master's program that I did. And so that's where we had Kristen, Toby, and Kate on and just got to hear a little bit more about um, what they do, why they do what they do, and how narratives and storytelling and therapy, how all these things uh, played a role in in their work and in their lives. And so it was a it's a beautiful conversation. I highly recommend you check it out. But this is a sequel of sorts to that episode because I've got more wonderful people on this episode today. And I am so excited. Guys, you have no idea how amazing these people are and the work that they do. And I'm honored uh, to introduce them here today and for you to get to know them a little bit. And I hope you are blessed by them in the same ways uh, that I have been in getting to know them over the last almost two years, which is, wow, time flies by. I have uh, guests here from different corners of North America. The first guest I'd like to introduce you is Miss Emily Bolstrom. Emily, welcome to the podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Thanks, Derek. I live in Seminarm in BC in Western Canada. I've been working in mental health for 18 years and then finally got to do my master's with some really cool people. Um, finished up last year. And I've just added narrative to my practice. So mm. I also have a private practice doing so now counseling, massage, and mind body work based on Chinese medicine. Awesome. And so that work really jazzes me up. And when I'm not doing that, I still squeeze in time to go rock climbing. I love rock climbing. Do you go rock climbing like in like a gym or do you like go like for real out in nature rock climbing? I've gone around the world for two decades. Really? What's like the coolest place in the world to go rock climbing? Oh, my favorite place is this little cliff in the desert in Australia. And I've gone there twice and just camp under rock and go climbing every day for a month. <gasps> that is so cool. I was at mm -hmm. Yosemite a couple years ago and they have that. Have, have you, are you familiar with that really gnarly cliff that people like to climb there? The nose. Yeah, it's something like that. Yeah. And it's like All you're nice. basically like upside down. Ooh. It's, um, it's passport. No, what's it called? Separate reality. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a big crack on a roof. And then in Australia, there's this one that goes up. And then the roof and the roof goes downhill. And it's called passport to insanity. Wow. Wow. So I think Google that a photo comes up of my friend Shaggy just kind of crouching in the corner waiting for his turn. Dang, dang. Man, that is so <laughs> cool that you do that though. That is that is wonderful. Side tangent, but that, yeah, that's cool. 
So thank you, Emily. It's so good to have you on. Um, and next up, we have Miss Sarah Houston. So Sarah, can you uh, go and tell us a little bit about yourself? I can do that. Um, yeah, so I am based also out of Canada in the province of Alberta on uh, beautiful Treaty 7 lands. Um I work in a program that provides service to pregnant and parenting youth and young parents. Um, I'm an intake coordinator for the program. So I meet with um, people as they are either kind of getting started and figuring out what supports they want to access, um, or if they're just kind of wanting to check things out and see if we're a good fit for them. Um, There's a high school program that I'm involved with, and then there's outreach supports in the community. Um, My undergrad is social work and I've been with that program for about 10 years. Um, I've got two kids that keep me busy when I'm outside of work. Um, I don't do anything as exciting as rock climbing, um, but I do like to ride my bike um, and ski. And yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, so... Where is the best place that you've ever um, gone skiing? My favorite hill um, is Fernie, is in BC. Okay. That's probably my favorite place to go. Yeah. That's cool. I've never been skiing before, but I've always wanted to go. Yeah. Going from like Southern California to Southern Florida There's just not much skiing in either place. Not if you take a direct route, no. No. So it's like (laughs) the only place we could go skiing growing up was like if you wanted to go like up to Big Bear and like all the mountains in Northern California. And it's like we it was so little that we went up there. So it was just like one of these days I'm going to come out to Canada, going to try to go skiing and probably break a leg or something. I don't know. I'm, I'm not the most coordinated person. But speaking of awesome people and whatnot, I am going to introduce the final uh, guest here in this panel, and that is Miss Andrea Wilson. So welcome, and uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hey, Derek. Yeah, absolutely. And also, hey, Sarah and Emily. feel like the crew's all back together again. Um, my name is Andrea Wilson, and I am in Iowa City, Iowa, which is a UNESCO City of Literature which feels really relevant to share on an all things narrative podcast. Um, Besides my work as a narrative therapy practitioner, I'm also a writer and a publisher. Um, I publish a series of books called We the Interwoven, which is um, a series about immigration, Mm. which has firsthand narratives from uh, first, second and third generation Americans living in Iowa. And I don't climb rocks and I'm not a great skier, but I do love to travel and kind of, I guess, on the recreational side, my favorite thing to do is book a ticket somewhere I've never been and where I don't know anyone and uh, just sort of set off for a few weeks and see what happens. And I just had a trip of such in Istanbul and Athens and Crete. Oh, wow. Wow. So when you were when you were in those places, what was like the highlight? Well, the one thing I had on the schedule was an artist residency in a city called Heraklio in Mm -hmm. Crete. 
um, it looks like Heraklion in, in English, but in, in, in Cretan, it's Iraklio. Uh, for all those Cretans that are going to be listening up, I want to make sure I pronounce it correctly. <laughs> uh, anyway, that was, uh, it was an artist residency there. And so I was working on writing and then also ended up painting a mural uh, in the Lacos region, which was really great. Um, there was a coffee shop we all went to every day to sort of have lunch among the artists. Mm-hmm. And I painted a mural just around the the street from there. So oh, that's awesome. really beautiful experience and culture, cultural relations, and really the stories that have carried us over centuries because Crete yeah. was the site of Gnosis, one of the original documented um, archaeological um, locations for you know, modern humans. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. That sounds amazing. Like I, I really want to someday, particularly like that whole, like, like the Greece and Rome and that whole like section of Europe. Cause there's just so much history there. It's just so rich. Yeah. It's overwhelming to stand there. I mean, in the Acropolis, um, oh wow I was just gonna ask did you get to go there wow yeah and, and you just think about how these you know stories have been written the mythology for for centuries and people have carried those and then you're just in the site and uh, it's really overwhelming it's kind of um yeah something I'm really grateful for and I think still processing yeah, the, the Greeks in particular, they really refine storytelling quite a bit. And you actually get quite a lot of discourse from the Greek philosophers on storytelling. You got people like Plato who were like, banish the storytellers. They need to go. And then you got people like Aristotle who are like, this is like the most important thing ever. Absolutely. You know, so it's like you have the clash there. Uh, yeah. But as, as at the same time, so many great stories uh, from the Odyssey and the Iliad to the Greek myths and whatnot are all being composed. So that's awesome. I'm really glad you got to go do that. Thank you. And speaking of stories, maybe a fun place to kind of start would be just to, to throw this, this question out there. There are any uh, stories in particular, they could be uh, true, like real stories that we see in the world or in history, or they could be fictional stories that we encounter in uh, film or in literature are there any stories in particular that have really moved you or inspired you or energized you in any way lately well <clears throat> I know I just answered but I I have something that came to mind which is I watched a documentary last week um, where the filmmaker came uh, from China and the film is called Hidden Letters and it's about a language that was written and created among women centuries ago called Nushu. Mm. And they used it to express to each other their experiences and often suffering in um, arranged marriages or in relational experiences where they had fewer rights than their husbands. And so the language was um, passed down from generation to generation and the movie or the film, I should say, because it is a documentary, uh, follows the last living translators and speakers of Nushu and also how the languages only hope forward also intersects directly with sort of a capitalistic lens of how it can be used for profit mm. and the way that that is working against sort of the emotional undertone of its original use in expressing 
the truth of human suffering. Oh, interesting. It seemed really relevant to bring up since so much of all of our work is not only in, in narratives and in story of individuals, but also in language yeah. and how beautiful narrative therapy uses language to delve deeper into uh, the human psyche and our experiences. Yeah. So, so Sarah and Emily, as you hear what Andrea is sharing um, about this documentary, it was called, what was it called? Hidden Words? Hidden Letters. Her hidden yeah. Letters. That's it. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. As you're hearing about that, uh, is there any thoughts that, that come to mind about that or, or what Andrea is talking about with language? I mean, Both I would like it. I believe you. I was just thinking, write this down, write this down. Um, I mean, when I hear you kind of connect it back to narrative therapy um, and like the variety of ways that narrative um, taps into kind of storytelling and different aspects of that um, to work towards therapeutic um, ends in lots of different ways. Um, yeah, I know that that makes me think of, um, there was a point when I was studying where I realized, um, I'm sure I had realized it on some level, but not one that had uh, been very clear to me before. Um, but I think there's a real theme for me in my life of like loving story. And I, I think I've recognized it as things like, loving books, loving movies, loving, um, like characters. Um, I think it's part of why I picked social work. Like that's one of the things that I find really invigorating about my work is, um, like the stories that I get to hear about, um, or kind of watch if we, cause I work with youth. So if I get to spend, you know, a few years working with them, I get to kind of stand by and watch their story develop. And that's something that I find really, really powerful. Was that, um, it sounds like you've had the, the passion for story for as long as you can remember. Was that something that was always consciously on your mind as you were getting into social work? Or is that something that kind of developed later? I don't think I recognized it as like an appreciation or seeking out of stories initially, truly. Um, like, I think I kind of compartmentalized, like, oh, I like all of these things. And then at some point realized like, oh, these, all these things I like, they have things in common. Yeah. 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 How does that, um, and anyone, any one of you can jump into this with the work that you do, how does that language and awareness and that almost, uh, that world of storytelling, how does that change or impact or help you do what you do well in the way that you do it, if that makes sense? I love this question because if I'm understanding what you're asking and how does our sort of understanding of story and language help us do what we do, mm -hmm. I think about when I'm sitting in a therapeutic session with a client and they might be sharing something about a way that they perceive themselves or sharing um, a failure story or mm -hmm. what we in narrative therapy refer to as, you know, not the preferred story, but a story where someone is um, maybe viewing themselves through a lens that isn't as positive. Right. 
using language to sort of move around the space of those sharings or confessions can allow a person to see that there is more more space for maybe delight, more space for opportunity, more space for difference. There's language um, are like dots and truth is Mm. like clouds. And so there's lots of, you know, little dots that we can move around through to try to find the place that they want to be. And sometimes we can move from one dot to another and a person's failure story might open up into a story of opportunity, a story of strength, uh, and, a, and a reframing of the way they see it. And language, I think, is what allows us to open those doors. Yeah, because I think all of us here have to be conscious and aware of language. Like language is important to what we do from the words that we choose, right? We spend a lot of time in our master's program talking about the importance of words and questions and how to to frame and ask questions that are not pathologizing that are uh, questions that are in service um, to the story of them right in front of us, uh, right? That whole idea of decentering. And, and so, yeah, I think when you enter the world of storytelling, it brings about this heightened sensitivity to language and to being more aware of what we say and and about possibilities as well about the possibilities of language. So yeah, that's good. Um, Emily, any any thoughts so far on on any of this stuff with story, language, influences? Yeah, I see the power of preferred language all the time. Just asking people like, what what word resonates with you? Do you do you like trauma? Do you do you want to use the word trauma? Or do you want to use the word pain or wound? And it has so many connotations. So to ask right. someone like, and then it goes into the realm of stigma too, which is such a companion to the mental health community and mm. field. So sometimes I do shifts at supportive housing. So it's an apartment building and lots of the folks um have been living for a while or a long while without housing, living outside, living rough. And so this building's been open for a year and people come grab a coffee and say, yeah, but I'm homeless. I'm homeless. I'm a junkie. And, and we're cringing. We're like, how can you use those words mm. and about yourself when, when you're living indoors, when you're living in housing and um, d- diving into language around drug use like I don't even want to use the word drug I want to use um un what do you call it unregulated substances right I mean there's opium in the hospital just mm-hmm. because it's unregulated all these words come out and so at work we're always talking about like your relationship with drug use do you want to to use less do you want to use less do you want to change your relationship with it what's the history of your relationship with this substance and all the stories that pour out from there instead of just one label. Yeah. Mm. And last week too, I got to do a workshop with another narrative therapist. So she graduated from Dulwich like six years ago. Oh, cool. And we um, workshopped a workshop and we pulled out things and our, our favorite lessons from Jill. And then we presented at mental health 
So it was mental health staff, mental health volunteers, and then just anyone from the community who wanted to sit through eight hours of talking about listening. Wow. And it, yeah, we had a lot of fun. Um, so at one point, we're asked, one girl's like, well, I have the diagnosis of whatever it was, like depressive disorder. And so we stepped out of that label. Mm. And she's, yeah, but I, that, I'm more than that label, those words, because I have actions and I have hopes and I have interests and I have values and I have intentions and I have things that are precious to me. We're like, yeah. So we wrote this all up and then we ended up, people were like, can we get the notes from the workshop? We're like, well, we made them together. So we pulled all the things that we had scratched on the whiteboards and typed them up. It's like, here's the notes. They're like, can we have your slides? Well, our slides were just photos. And then we created the content together. That was really exciting. That's awesome. And it's interesting because, you know, when you do a workshop like that, you're bringing narrative, you're bringing these ideas into spaces because I think we can all agree that a lot of what we've learned about narrative therapy and narrative practices, it stands in contrast to maybe a lot more of the dominant forms of therapy and social work and psychology and mental health that exist nowadays. So mm-hmm. even it's even interesting that someone in your workshop, like, you know, this idea of like a, like a diagnosis. So like when you and Emily and anyone can jump in on this, but like when you start bringing some of these ideas, um, to people, uh, outside of, you know, maybe like our group or outside of people who are familiar with them, whether it's those you work with or fellow coworkers, what's kind of the, the overall like vibe and reception, uh, to them? Are people welcoming them? Does there tend to be pushback? What, what have you seen in your experiences? I would say my experiences have been mixed. Um, so I, I would say that I've, um, kind of floated different kind of language options or, or ways of approaching things, um, similar to some of the examples that Emily gave. So around like other ways that you could maybe talk about, um, yeah, substance use or misuse or whatever your, whatever chosen or preferred language is. Um, and like, even just offering, like, is that a, is that a fit for you? Um, whether it's language around like substance use or like um, a mental health diagnosis, like for some people in my experience anyways, like the diagnosis really feels like a a fit and feels like, yes, this describes the things that have been challenging for me. Yeah. It provides like language. I'm not going to read, but I'm not going to be adjusting, like then we'll stick with that language. That makes sense then. Mm -hmm. Um, but even just in offering um, other ways of kind of talking about things or calling them or naming them, whether or not you get taken up on it in kind of in the conversation, it plants a seed, mm-hmm. I think. Um, and so like, if they kind of go like, oh no, that language is fine, then you know maybe that language is fine. Or maybe they, you know, for the rest of the week kind of go like, yeah, that's, you know, what would I prefer or what, you know, maybe that's not something that they considered or, or had that presented in that way that like, we can talk about this without talking about it in exactly these terms. And to me, that's one of the things that's so powerful 
about language and specifically about um, what I understand of and what I've kind of experienced with um, narrative therapy is that it really strives to be creative. Yeah. And I really love that piece of it. I think it's so powerful that both of you mentioned the way language allows people to redefine the way they look at themselves <clears throat> and just that idea of the way we've put labels on elements of society or behaviors, drug user, homeless, thinking about living outside of those or stepping outside of those terms and the power that that gives people back in their own lives. You shared that really beautifully. Yeah, that's good. I feel like that's what I find the most offensive is like a gray eyebrow hair. Okay, that's this has like, not happened yet. Please put no. this all in the trailer. Don't do that. <laughs> I was just gonna say, please, like, man, I got please. a lot of stuff to edit out, but maybe I could leave it some of it in. Um, I'd love for our our listeners to hear a little bit more about what you do. So um, maybe starting with you, Emily, uh, could you just, you, you, you shared in your intro, some of the, the stuff that you do. And I remember in particular with your, uh, your innovation project in the masters about how you were really bringing narrative therapy into this space of nature and, I, and about like, I remember like taking your clients out on walks and, and the, the scenery and the conversations you would have. So, um, yeah. So could you tell us a little bit more about what your, what your work entails and, and um, yeah, maybe what, what some of the, the highlights are that you found in, in what you're doing. Yeah, I do have an interest and trajectory toward taking narrative outdoors, like go outside and look inside. So doing sessions on trails and floating on paddle boards. There was this one session on paddle boards and we're floating along. And the discussion was around not having control of her environment mm. as our bodies are literally drifting down the beach, not being able to control our environment. Oh, wow. And so in sessions, I'm always seeking to take a wider view, right? So like, if you, if you can't control your environment, let's explore that environment and that not being able to control your environment and wow. conversations. And I'm always curious about what people are rebelling against. Yeah. So like when Toby narrative is so punk, it's like, yeah, that's what it is. We're just yeah. so supported to be rebellious and resistance and be rogue. Like what do you love and what are you resisting? And just naming it when I see someone just resisting oppression mm. and reclaiming lives, it makes me so giddy and that's kind of how I describe my work instead of addictions and trauma and domestic abuse because right. those are just blankets but seeing people just take their life back and nurture what they love is um it's really energizing work yeah well I can imagine like you're you're being out there and you're in nature and you know it brings me back to a lot of the ancient um storytellers and communicators um so like for example like for me in like the christian tradition one of the things that jesus did is he told a lot of parables right um but he was telling parables about nature as he was in the middle of nature so like as he's telling a story 
if like literally where he's telling the story geographically, he's bringing in nature, like the things around them, the landscapes around them. Um, so he's like, he's merging these worlds. Right. And, and so you're creating, it almost sounds like you're using this, this space and this place of nature to help people to better react, interact with the, the context of their own lives. Would that be fair to say? I think so. And sometimes people's meanings or their stories, they need more than words. They need more to more than just sitting and, and sometimes it just goes further when there's that, that felt experience. Um, I remember what's his name, the musician, John Butler Mm -hmm. saying, um, yeah, when my dad died, therapy wasn't doing anything. I had to go underwater in the ocean. I had to go surfing. I had to Mm -hmm. go underwater and that's the only place where the situation made sense. Wow. And I just love that. Like just going underwater and he might not even be able to put words to what happens when you go underwater, but something happened in his body and his spirit or however he describes it. Something made sense. And I just yeah. love that. Now was that, that um, some of these practices and the way that you do what you do, was that always a part of your work or was there like a particular moment where you realized that you wanted to bring all these pieces together? I think inviting nature into stories just makes sense to me. I mean, I've always been active and traveling and rock climbing is just this, this non goal oriented activity is just about being in the movement and feeling the movement. And those are some of my favorite stories too. So to incorporate body movement just kind of makes sense. Yeah. So my undergrad psychology and recreation, and that's always just been there ready to use whenever the time arrives. Wow. Yeah. It's really inspiring. Just like for me personally, it's really inspiring just to hear how you're bringing together your own passions and you're saying, okay, like if this is like what I enjoy, because I really firmly believe that like the things that we enjoy doing, like, and that we're passionate about, we're going to like be the most all in for. And so it's like, okay, if I know I'm good at this and I enjoy this, what would it be like to incorporate this in what I do and to, to get to share it with people and help people to experience, you know, some of the the beauty of what what I see there. So, with that, are there any any challenges that come with that? Challenges. Well, I feel like it's just so expansive. There's oh, so much to learn. I'm like, am I ready for this? Am I ready for it? And then mm-hmm. earlier in the year, a friend was like, "Can you just contact this?" this person named Vicky, I'm like, yeah, sure. <laughs> so um, we plan to do a Zoom and we're like, let's keep it super casual, casual. And she is an indigenous gal living on the reserve near here, but mm-hmm. she can grow up here. So we chatted about work and stuff, but also just the depth of the local culture. And then at the end of the summer, I emailed her again. I was like, Vicky, your, our conversation is still on my mind. Just how when you say the land, it means everything, not just the earth, but mm. everything. And then I moved on to acreage this summer and I just feel like I'm on 
the land. So the land, and there's so many insects here, mm-hmm. and the view, and and just her words of the land is so much more than what we see. Is like I'm just starting to grasp, and I just want to hear more of the stories and the legends from the ancient cultures around here. That's so good. That's so good. I see Andre did a little did a little heart. So is there anything, Sarah, Andrea, that like really um, stands out to you that you really connect with with what Emily's sharing? The idea that the natural world offers us answers that may have gone um, unclaimed in many of our lives is something that's just of ongoing interest to me. And, you know, I find so much of what Emily shared to be inspiring because I see her as a woman who has reclaimed her relationship or claimed in, in, in the way many of us wish to a a direct relationship with nature and rock climbing in particular, um, such a rugged and inspiring way to do that. And I think in my own practice, I am working with primarily women in, in ways that may be small, but mighty in their relationship with nature, be that through their own breath, um, you know, a morning sunrise, a meditative experience in the grass, Mm. walking without shoes and feeling the ground beneath them. And the way that the stories we've been told have taken us away from those relationships with the natural world, the way that productivity, um, what you do, how much you produce or make in the world, the way those stories have been prioritized over who you are and yeah. how you be, how you be in the world. And I, I, I want those things to continue not only my practice, but in my own life. And I think narrative therapy and the work with all of you, um, is, is about reconnecting to the core of who we are in the natural world is such a part of that. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Sarah, Sarah, did you have anything you wanted to add to that as well? So I'll respond first, just so I don't forget it. Um, Andrea, when you were, when you were speaking, one of the things um, that stood out for me when I was listening to you is um, in reconnecting or reclaiming some of those connections and um, maybe even reprioritizing some of those connections um, as not, you know, the things that are dictated to us that are supposed to be important. Um, I think part of that learning and that process is in doing that with our, with ourselves and in our own lives allows us to connect with people so differently. And I think I, I'm maybe just regurgitating some of the things that you said, but that piece about like, that if we're doing that work, that it maybe allows us the self-awareness to connect with other people in that way, because we're looking for it or able to see it differently. Um, And that's definitely that experience. If I, I don't know if I'm like really in left field, but that experience is definitely one that resonates for me. Um, and so thinking back to what Emily was speaking to, um, I this you articulated a lot really well, and I got what I got really stuck on was the John Butler quote. Um, 
because I actually, I, I think it's huge. I think that the possibilities and importance and need for therapeutic work that doesn't actually rely on language is huge. Mm. And I think it's not my perception anyways, is that it's not, it's kind of seen as fringy um, in terms of like, I don't know, valid therapeutic work. And that might be, that might be an experience that's not true for everybody. Um, But I think that it's, you know, and I was actually thinking about this when we were speaking about language, because language is a place that I'm quite comfortable with. And like, I'm excited about the creative possibilities and I like to play with my language. Um, And I know certainly I've had experiences, I mean, in my personal life and at work where that, like, that's not true for everybody. Um, Whether it's, you know, whether I'm sitting in a room with a youth who's significantly impacted by anxiety and it's just like maybe they're the most articulate person in the world and it's just hard to get it out in that moment uh maybe i'm sitting with somebody whose first language is in english like for so many reasons language might not be the go-to um or or might just not in that moment convey what they need it to convey and to be able to connect in other ways um and and even offering like the validation of connecting in those other ways um, and even a willingness to be present. Um, so I, you know, I hadn't thought about that or realized maybe that that was part of your experience with rock climbing, Emily, but that those practices of, of being, being present and being in the moment are also so important. So I'm, I'm curious then Sarah. So like, you know, kind of shifting a little bit and asking a little bit about what you do. So when it comes to, you know, you said language is, is what's really, that's kind of, I, I guess, is it fair to say maybe what's more natural for you? Um, yeah, I think that's fair to say. Okay. So, you know, in the work that you do with youth um, and you've been working at this organization, doing social work, what are some of the ways that language has helped you do what you do there and Mm -hmm. maybe if you just want to in general just tell us a little bit more about what your practice and and what your work looks like okay um sorry that's me looking skyward trying to organize my thoughts um so in terms of how i like what i do and kind of how how i'm able to use narrative practice um it comes up in a few places for me. So one one piece of my role that I'm not as connected to as I used to be, but um, I've had opportunities in the past to co-facilitate a parenting class that's offered out of the school program that I work at. Um, and like I said, I've been at the school just over 10 years. And um, So Tree of Life, somebody had added Tree of Life to the parenting materials before I even got there. Oh, wow. And so I facilitated it before and didn't actually know it came from narrative until obviously learning more about narrative. Yeah. So Tree of Life is something that has been, we've included in the parenting curriculum. Um, And one of the changes I made when I learned more about kind of the history of how it was developed and how it's used um, is that I used to do it kind of later in the term once mm. 
once we'd all kind of had a chance to establish a bit of a relationship and get comfortable with each other and we'd kind of spend some time together um then we would spend a couple of days uh doing tree of life and it was it was never a requirement um but we always invited people to kind of share any pieces or anything about their tree that they wanted to and one of the things i changed is that i started doing it earlier in the term um and i started framing it as like an, an acknowledgement um of what people were already bringing mm. to their journey as a parent um so using it to explore kind of a, uh to use narrative terminology like a more multi-storied look at things about where where people have come from where they feel connected to whether that's like a place or a culture or a community and like the values skills and abilities that they have um what's important for them and what they have going on present day to hopes and dreams for the future and the important people and and really kind of using that as a this is the starting place these are the things that i understand you're already or we understand you're already bringing into this experience yeah. of being a parent and being a student within the school within our community so it's it's i mean it's great kind of wherever you put it in the course but that was one of the adaptations that i made um and then also in parenting class um and it kind of depends how frequently the class is running but i've had a couple of opportunities to do at the end of the term i've asked students um if they want to do a collective letter to the next group that's going to come in oh wow yeah um and so like it's typically i just say like participate if you want to don't if you don't want to that's absolutely fine um and the first time we did it we kind of had a class discussion and i took notes while we were doing that so we kind of framed it as it's a letter of like welcome to the next group or if you feel like you're in a position now to say something to someone on their first day that you would have found meaningful for someone to say to you who'd been through the course this is an opportunity to do that and then so from the discussion with like kind of I had a co-facilitator in the room with me so she was kind of um facilitating more of the discussion and I took notes and then kind of pulled it together based on kind of themes that they responded to um and then brought it back to the group and got got everybody's okay to share it with the with the next class and we went from there. Um so for the next class I shared it once at the beginning of the term and then once at the end and then they made their own their own letter to the next group. So there's a couple now that we've got. And they did it differently. So we came up as a class with a couple of questions and then they responded on post-it notes um and just tucked it up by the question. Mm-hmm. Which was nice because then I had a bunch of like direct quotes in their words to actually share which turned out really well and they're quite it's interesting like they're different groups they're quite different the letters yeah i love how you're providing different different ways of engagement because the tree tree of life is really going to speak um and i love the tree of life i've i've done it as well several times and it speaks to those who are like the artists at heart or the nature people um, at heart. It gives them a, a different kind of language. Cause I've had some people 
who do their tree of life and it's like they incorporate words into it. But I've seen other people that will do like symbols into it as well and, and really tie in like the symbolism with the tree. And I'm like, Oh, what does this part represent? And they'll, you know, so it's, it's, it's cool to see the different directions people will take that. And then, you know, like the collective letter, the, the different things you're providing in these spaces for people. So like uh, Andrea and Emily, as you're hearing Sarah share this, um, is there anything that, that you're really connecting with or that's really meaningful to you? It's just nice to be reminded of the tree of life again, just how many directions that can go to have a visual and to have the metaphors. Metaphors can be such a comfortable place to explore stories and preferred directions. Yeah, I agree with Emily in the comfort and beauty of metaphor and how that provides so often distance between maybe a hurtful or uncomfortable topic and just gives us, I think, a little bit of a playground to reimagine or to just talk about things that are a little bit difficult. I never get tired of working with metaphor. I never get tired of imagining them, of imaging them. And I found with clients and particularly with, with women who are trying to reimagine new directions for their lives, the idea of metaphor really allows them to get into that creative mind that Sarah mentioned that is so wonderful in that narrative offers it. And also really makes me ask the question that I think to like tie all this together a bit, you know, creativity um, sort of, manifesting ideas in the material world that that come from something deeper and greater mm. i think yeah just what that offers people that is outside of just the idea of the intellect but something much deeper and yeah. embodied so andrea what you know you you've alluded a little bit to some of the work that you do with these women and the importance of language and metaphor so can you tell us a little bit more about what this looks like in your work Sure, absolutely. So aside from my private practice with individuals, um, which I work willingly with people of all gender, all types, I work with non-binary children. Um, my private practice is really um, an open door to anyone who's looking to to look at the narrative of their lives and, and potentially reimagine it. But in terms of my workshops, um, right now I'm really in a place of designing those specifically for women mm who may find themselves in a place where the life they're living or the ideas that they have about themselves or what it is to be um, the person that they've been told they should be, they might be looking to explore other options, other ways of viewing themselves, other ways of, of living in a, in a world that sort of projects its story onto us unknowingly. Yeah. And I think, yeah, for, for many women, what I've heard expressed is that that idea of I thought it was supposed to be this way, or I thought I was doing the right things, or I was sort of following the sort of linear path that was given to me, um, graduate, get a job, get married, have children, and I'm looking around and going, where did I go? Mm. And so the ability to reconnect with you know, the central self, the deep self, the wise self, the child self, and really 
reimagine existence without the limitations of those protect projected stories from maybe society or pieces of society that we don't necessarily agree with and yet take that in on a daily basis. Um, but creating spaces for those reimaginations has really become my, my passion. Wow. Creating spaces for, do you say reimaginations? Yeah. Wow. That's beautiful. Thank you. The work inspires me. People inspire me. Uh, they teach me about what is possible when we live more through the human heart than through some of the stories we've created about what has to be. Yeah. Yeah. Emily and Sarah, as you're hearing Andrea share um, at different points in this conversation about her work, is there anything that stands out to you or that you really connect with? Yeah, I have a new favorite question. Andrea, you said, what is unclaimed? And I just love it. I wrote it down because um, I love the, the idea of saying, what are you reclaiming? Um, but what is, what is unclaimed kind of creates this image in my mind of like, there's other gems that haven't had your attention, but they're there. Like maybe this, this just interest in whatever gardening or rock hounding or finger painting that's been forgotten, right? What has been forgotten that, that you loved when you were seven years old and you still want to do it again. So that, that one question takes me many places. Love that. Even hearing you restate it, um, so much beauty in it and hearing your story of where that could go. And I miss finger painting. Can I just say? <laughs> There's nothing like it. It's time to reclaim the finger paints. And not just fingers. Painting with your back, your shoulder, your feet. Oh, I'm definitely in for Emily's rock climbing adventures with back painting. Yeah. Well, I think we kids right i think we just give the kids the paint and then we just do what they do because yep. they know what to do yep. they do know what yeah. to do they'll take and- it they'll take it all the way sarah anything that stands out to you oh i was just um in the moment enjoying um as i do when andrea is speaking her description of like just how powerful those moments are where where you kind of have the opportunity to yeah flip things that might have felt like you know i could you couldn't ship this or like it has to be this way or uh, yeah, I'm not having any articulate examples come to mind. Um, I wrote down just, some articulate examples of lift this rock. <laughs> I like it. If you're anything like me, you're going to be like, I'll never forget this. And then two weeks later, you're going to be like, what rock? <laughs> <laughs> um, but just those moments where somebody has the opportunity and the, and the space and somebody to witness... Like if those, if those, and I'm going to get real dramatic and say shackles aren't in place, what does that make possible? Yeah. If we don't treat that as a foregone conclusion, what else do we have to work with? What does that mean for you? And like, those are, 
And for me, that's one of the things I love about narrative and that I think is so powerful about the way that narrative uses language. Not that it's not that it's only because of language or framing it that way, but that's I think often how I how I approach it. And yeah, those moments are so powerful. Starting to get ready to wrap up, uh, I wanted to see if there were any, uh, just any final thoughts that you had for our listeners in terms of the use of, the importance of language, and um, anything that you would want them to kind of ponder or think about. Maybe they're not as familiar with a lot of these ideas. Maybe this is their first time hearing, you know, some of these concepts within narrative therapy. Um, what would you like them to kind of leave with uh, to maybe go ponder or think about or to to reflect on? Well, as we discuss language and labels, it just reminds me of just questioning the view and the demands of our normative culture of society of media who says, your body's supposed to look like that. Your arms are supposed to look like this. And then to question that, be like, does anyone else smell a rat? Hey, I don't like that message. I don't think anybody else does either. Can we turn this into comedy? Can we, can we rebel against those stupid demands of these amazing human bodies that we have? Mm-hmm. And I would tag on to that and say, invite people to the questioning party. If you, you know, if you have someone that you can like engage in the real talk with where you can be like, I like, let's sniff out these rats. Let's see what stinks. Let's, um, cause that, that's something that I find helpful is to, is to be able to talk through things and yeah, exactly. As you said, Emily, like, does anyone else, is anyone else noticing like, this, this is crazy. This isn't just me. And it can be really helpful to kind of have somebody to work through that, like whether or not you guys, agree but just somebody that you feel like you can be open or honest with you know i want to go to um the questioning party and i (laughs) want to invite people to my questioning parties i'm loving this term and sniffing out all the rats and as both of them were talking i was thinking about part of the power in narrative i think is giving the power of language back to the people and when emily mentions you know, pushing back against normative culture. And um, I talked about the way women feel trapped within the roles. I think the role of media had a purpose originally in our culture, which was about sharing information Mm. that eventually turned into something else um, that had a much more sort of subversive purpose. And those messages are are harmful in many ways now and have wrapped themselves in capitalism, like a secret, you know, snake wrapped around it. Mm. And I think the idea that people could gather together and create their own narratives and reject the, the hurtful narratives that are being given to them and question um, the truth or the necessity of some of those ideas is, is really empowering. And, and maybe that is where, language could tie up here is the idea that it it belongs to each one of us 
in our own way that gives us the healthiest chance for um, for a life that feels good to all of us. And language, like all things, belongs to the people. Wow. I think it's really important, like, for example, it's not about getting the words right. It's not about, like, putting the best sentence together and having it be, like, perfectly balanced and well-sourced and cited and all of that good stuff. Like, for myself, when I'm thinking about, like, yeah, but you got to invite people to your questioning party. I am thinking about the people that I can like <laughs> speak my truth to. I'm thinking of like, yeah, sitting around a charcuterie board, giving all of the real thoughts um, and talking through things like with my friends, with my colleagues. Um, and like, yeah. And, and, and maybe over the course of that conversation, I will leave with a different opinion than what I went in with. But it's not about doing it right, is doing it in the way that allows you to express yourself um, and feel heard. So it's about whoever you can do that with or the space that you can do it in. Or, and, and some of that is like, yeah, where you feel like you have the safety and the trust and the validation. It is not about the language in my opinion bam or cer- certainly not just about the language i got nothing that can top that <laughs> <laughs> so emily sarah andrea it has been so good to have you all it's so good to catch up as well and just to get to to spend some time talking about you know we had these conversations regularly this is stuff that we were talking about in teaching blocks and in, you know, just cohort gatherings and WhatsApp and texts and all that stuff. So it's just kind of nice to have everybody come back and, you know, just get to, to chat about these things. And, and I am, uh, I'm so inspired by what you all do. And I'm just super thankful, um, that all of you were willing to just come and take time out of your busy schedules just to share a little bit about what you do. I'll have a little bit more information about uh, Emily, Sarah, and Andrea in the show notes um, if you want to learn more or connect with them. And so at this time, I just want to say thank you again for tuning in to the All Things Narrative podcast and for just this discussion on language. And so um, I hope wherever you are at that you took something away from this. And so this is, um, yeah, this is this is what we do on this podcast. So feel free to tune in um, next week for another exciting episode about um, the importance of documenting your life story, um, which I think uh, all of us here um, can relate to, the importance of creating documents, creating tangible um, works that help us and help others understand who we are, what's important to us, and why our story matters. So tune in next week for that episode. Thank you so much, everyone out there for tuning in. And until next time, this is your friendly narrative practitioner, Derek, saying thank you and take care.